Welcome to the Royal Caribbean Blog Podcast, your weekly look into the world of Royal Caribbean cruising. I'm your host, Matt Hotchberg, and this is episode number 488. You know, when it comes to cruising, there's a lot of misconceptions out there about Royal Caribbean cruises and cruises in general, but I wanted to talk about some of the really common ones that pop up if you're a brand new cruiser. Here we go. So earlier this week, I posted on RoyalCaribbeanBlog.com an article about common misconceptions about a Royal Caribbean cruise, and I thought it'd be interesting to talk about this more in detail here and kind of share some context and insight into these misconceptions because we get a ton of questions on RoyalCaribbeanBlog.com every single day, whether it's on our message boards, whether it comes into one of our live streams we do on YouTube or Facebook, or you know, even people just filling out the contact us form, which is not really meant for that, but I still get these questions anyway. <laughs> uh, there's a lot of concerns about cruising and people just asking things because I think a lot of people come to cruising from other forms of travel, whether it's, you know, just going to hotels or cities or airplanes anyway. And, and when they do that, there's definitely some differences and some nuances of taking a Royal Caribbean cruise. So this week I wanted to dive into some of these questions. I think this will help people out. Maybe you're a new cruiser and then obviously this will help you out directly, but also even if you've been there, done that kind of cruiser, I think it's interesting to understand where a lot of other cruisers are coming from. New cruisers, by the way, are a huge segment of the cruising population. I mean, it's really what drives the cruise industry forward. It was interesting after COVID, you know, there are a lot of people who thought, oh man, you know, who's going to want to go on a cruise. And certainly when cruising restarted in 2021, I think the cruise lines were relying heavily on the repeat cruiser market, but to truly grow the industry, they need new to cruise. That's really where the largest source of untapped customers are. And uh, it's actually something I've, I think I've talked about before here, but you know, when we talk, when a uh, Cruise Line looks at new customer acquisition. They're not looking at, okay, somebody who cruises Carnival or Norwegian. They're looking for somebody who's never cruised before. That is their target market. So maybe this will help provide some context. And hey, maybe this will help, uh, you know, somebody who's planning a cruise there, a friend or family member of yours in, in understanding where they're coming from and helping them with the information. Number one, you're going to need a drink package. If you want that drink, that costs extra. And boy, it seems like a lot of people think you need to have a drink package in order to go on a cruise and get something that's not included. As you all know, or maybe don't know, there are certain drinks that are included with your cruise fare, right? You've got water, you've got milk, tea, coffee, both regular and decaf, lemonade, iced tea, flavored waters, juices, and hot chocolate. But if you want a soda, if you want a beer, if you want a cocktail, there's a lot of people who think you need to have a drink package in order to get those things. But the reality is you don't. And, and I think this is not because people come into it naturally thinking that. I think they see so much advertising for drink packages and and just it, it's so front and center. Royal Caribbean, after all, has done a really good job of advertising their add-on packages you can purchase before the cruise. If you listen to last week's episode, I talked about the fact that something like 60% of their customers now are you know purchasing something before their cruise. So Royal Caribbean, to their credit, is getting that information in front of a lot of people's faces. I th used to say, you know, not too long ago that I think the vast majority of people going on a cruise ship book the cruise and that's the extent of their planning. That's it. They, they book the cruise. The next thing they do is they show up to the cruise ship. And I think there's still a large amount of people who do that, but I think there are some people who take one extra step and that is to look at the cruise planner and that's it. So they'll book the cruise, they go to the cruise planner, they purchase a drink package or an excursion and that's the extent of their cruise planning, which is still a step ahead of a lot of other people. But if you were to do that, you'd have no idea that, you know, there's, you don't have to buy a drink package. It almost looks like 
If you don't buy a drink package, you don't get any drink, similar to the Wi-Fi package, right? If you don't have a Wi-Fi package, you can't use the internet. Same, I guess, logic, if you will. But the reality is it's not the case at all. You can purchase drinks a la carte. And when it comes to the drink package, people often ask, you know, is it worth it? You know, is, is should I get it you know, in terms of a value standpoint? And really, when you're talking about a drink package and getting your money's worth out of it, typically, and there's many ways to break even on a drink package, so please don't email me with the different ways you can do it. But for just a generalization, for the alcohol package, the deluxe beverage package, you need about six to seven cocktails per day to break even on that. Maybe a little more if the drink package is closer to about $100 per day. But somewhere in that ballpark, right, the refresher package is about four to five drinks per day, and the soda package is about three to four sodas per day to break even. Now, that's break even, right? Now, that's assuming that you're looking to basically purchase the drink package in order to ensure that you are not overpaying for the drinks you're ordering individually. Because alternatively, you could just simply say, hey, I'd like to have a drink, you know, a beer, a coffee, and then you give them your CPAS card and they charge you individually for that. So if you were to have with the deluxe beverage package, if you order seven Mai Tais a day, you're going to break even on that with the drink package compared to paying for it individually. Now, there are other benefits to booking a drink package, the convenience factor, the ability to prepay. You know, maybe you don't break even every single day of the cruise, but, you know, for some people, being able to budget is worthwhile. But at the heart of it, if you're going on a cruise, you don't need a drink package in order to buy a drink. And by the way, this also applies to kids as well. You know, one of Royal Caribbean's best known rules out there is with the drink package for the unlimited alcohol package, right? That if one adult in the room buys a drink package, the other adults in the room have to buy one as well. But this does not apply to kids. So let's assume family of four, two adults, two children in the room, and one adult purchases the deluxe beverage package while the other adult in the room needs to get one as well. But anybody that's under 21 does not need to get a drink package. That's an important distinction because a lot of people then assume, oh, I need to get one for my kids as well. And that's not the case. So something to keep in mind. This one is just, I think, you know, if you hear that, oh, usually people hear, oh, one person gets a drink package, thus everyone else in the room needs to get the drink package. What they really mean by that is all the other adults in the room need to do that. So that's an important one off the bat. Number, well, this is actually number three because the kids one was number two. But anyway, uh, this one is really important. Travel insurance. Travel insurance is not a catch-all for everything. I think a lot of people, you know, hear myself talk about travel insurance. Just read about, oh, travel insurance is important. It's a good idea. You're spending thousands of dollars on your cruise. Why not invest a little bit of money for a travel insurance plan? And I think that makes a lot of sense in, in, in many cases, right? But what people fail to grasp the most is that travel insurance is not a free-for-all to cancel your cruise any reason you want. Travel insurance, you know, policies, number one, they're not just all the same. There's different policies that are out there, different coverages, different levels. It's kind of similar to auto insurance in the sense that when you purchase auto insurance, you know, you can have different coverages and different amounts and it can, you know, there's, there's all sorts of options that are out there. This is somewhat similar to travel insurance. So number one, it's not, they're not all the same, which is why it's important to find a policy that's right for you. But, but most importantly, you have to understand that most travel insurance plans only allow for cancellation of your cruise. If a certain scenario plays out, the classic examples are loss of a job, you get laid off, right? Like a certain amount of time before your cruise, you can cancel your cruise. Death in the immediate family, uh, travel interruption, you get to the airport, there's one flight a day, that flight is canceled, now you can't possibly make it there for whatever reason. And there, there's plenty more of those, right? But what I think people assume about travel insurance is they get it. And then they decide, for whatever reason, I don't want to go on the cruise anymore. Not that they can't get on the cruise. 
but they don't want to go on the cruise anymore. And as a result, they want to cancel under their travel insurance plan because they think, oh, no, it's fine. We're past, you know, we're a week out of our cruise. No worries. I got the travel insurance. that will cover it. And that's not the case. The most common situation in which this uh, presents itself is with hurricanes. Usually uh, what will happen is there'll be a hurricane in the in the Atlantic somewhere. And the hurricane is well outside the, you know, where your ship is going to be. So, you know, usually these form in the uh, South Atlantic right off the coast of Africa. And they get to, like, the Leeward Islands, you know, over by, like, you know, super east of the Caribbean. But your cruise is going somewhere else. And so there's a storm there. And, of course, the news being the news will cover it ad nauseum and talk all about the strong winds. And it's now a Category 3. And it's doing this and that. And that gets a lot of people spooked about it. So, and, of course, there's also the factor of we don't know where, where the storm is going to go, right? So for these and other reasons, people say, well, there's a hurricane out there. I'm going to cancel my cruise, right? Because my my travel insurance includes hurricane coverage. And it does, except not for that situation. The hurricane coverage covers you when the storm itself prevents the cruise from happening. So one example would be your cruise is going out of Miami. The storm is projected to go over Miami and the port is shut down. And as a result, your cruise cannot go or something along those lines. Then your travel insurance would cover whatever the cruise line doesn't. So similarly, you know, if you're planning on going, you're flying down and your flight is canceled, that's that part of that trip interruption coverage and you're unable to get to Miami, that'd be another situation in which that's covered. Actually, it'd be more likely that the storm is going to like, you know, the mid-Atlantic United States and your your flight now is impossible to get through there because of the storm. I mean, that's another situation, right? But it's not because you decide willy-nilly you don't want to go. If Royal Caribbean is putting on the cruise, so they're saying, no, the cruise is a go, that then you got to go. Now, there is cancel for any reason insurance as well. The problem with cancel for any reason insurance, number one, is it only pays a percentage amount back. Usually, it's 75%. So usually, you're still losing 25% of your cost um, for that. So it's not exactly you know an undo button, if you will. So it's really important to understand what travel insurance covers. And I would argue that its merits are far greater than just simply there's a hurricane out there. There's a lot of good reasons to have travel insurance. It's not that much money. But it's really important to understand what it does and what it doesn't cover. Something else that is really, really commonly thought of as being included, but it's not, is the automatic gratuities. So a lot of people assume, oh, I pay the automatic gratuities. You know, it's the gratuities that are part of your cruise fare, whether you prepay them before your cruise or you do the automatic gratuities on board the ship. Well, if you do that, your your hands are clean. You Anything on board the ship, gratuity-wise, is covered. And the reality is that's not the case. The daily gratuities for the complimentary dining room staff, so your main dining room staff and also people in the Windjammer, as well as your stateroom attendant only. This means if you buy a drink or a drink package or a souvenir or you go to the spa, the gratuity there still costs you extra. I see this all the time with people who buy a drink or go to the spa and say, no, 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 no. I already paid my gratuity for the cruise. Why am I being charged gratuity again? And the the answer is because the gratuity you prepaid doesn't cover those, those people that you're talking about there. Another one that I think people that have never cruised before, this is uh, something that pops up every now and then, is this assumption that you need to book a shore excursion. Now, I'll be the first person to admit, I think it's a really good idea to have a shore excursion planned. I think no matter which port you're going to, especially if you're brand new to cruising, I think it really behooves you to have a shore excursion planned. But if you don't want one, you don't need one to get off the ship. What that means is if your ship is docked in Cozumel or it's docked in, you know, Bermuda or anywhere really, and you simply want to walk off the ship and explore on your own, 
you can absolutely do that without a tour planned. Now, in some situations, especially tender ports, there may be one gangway that is reserved for people with tours, but there's no, I really struggle to think of one. I can't think of one, a country in which you need to have a tour. Actually, I just thought of one as I think about it now. Certain countries in like Russia or China and other, maybe Vietnam as well, that require a visa. That's a different issue altogether. That's nothing to do necessarily with the, the, you can still get off the ship if you have the visa. My point is that you don't need to have a tour booked in order to disembark the ship. That's very important to understand when you're talking about these kind of plans. Now, I think for most people, that's not a concern, but there are times in which, you know, maybe they're on a, the situation I think really pops up is seven night cruise, you know, to the Caribbean or something. And their ship is going to, you know, one of the, one of the islands there. And they, they, they don't find a tour that really appeals to them. They look at Royal Caribbean's tours and nothing really pops up. So they assume, well, you know, I don't have a tour book, so I guess I can't get off the ship or I'm not going to get off the ship. And the reality is there's still, you can get off the ship. And there's a good reason whether you just walk off the ship and, walk around the pier area or you do something on your own or you, you know, whatever you have that opportunity. Again, I think it's a really good idea to have a tour booked, especially if you're new to cruising, but keep in mind that you don't need a tour in order to get off the ship. This also applies to perfect day, Coco key and Labadee as well. I think a lot of people assume again, based on the cruise planner, that if you don't have something booked, you can't get off the ship, but there's nothing to do. If you don't have anything booked again, there's still plenty to do that's included there. So important to know those kinds of things. Definitely when you're when you're planning your cruise. I think this next one is a biggie, and that is kind of, you know, piggybacking similar to how a lot of first time cruisers think the food included the drinks rather. Uh, you know, you have to pay extra in order to have drinks, and that is just for the food. And basically the thought process I've seen a lot of people uh, post about is if you don't pay for especially dining, the food you're gonna get is really gonna be terrible, subpar, whatever you wanna call it, right? And Food number one is extremely subjective. And what I mean by that is, you know, you think of a dish, whether we're talking about broccoli or we're talking about escargot or we're talking about, gosh, pork chops. I mean, there are some people that love those foods, people that hate those foods. That doesn't mean the food is inherently bad or good. It just means people have very, very, very subjective tastes. So I don't care what you read about online for somebody else posted about it, it's irrelevant because their tastes could be completely off base from yours. The bottom line is the food that Royal Caribbean includes is definitely more than adequate and enjoyable in most cases, right? Whether you're in the dining room, the wind jammer or a host of other, you know, grab and go locations, number one, you're not going to go hungry. So it's not like you need to buy a dining package in order to eat on a cruise, but there's plenty of other food that's included that is really good, whether it is the dining room or wind jammer. Now, again, I'm not here to tell you that every single thing you order at the complimentary venues is going to be amazing and will be the best food you ever ate. Far from it. That's true of, of, of any restaurant, quite frankly. Um, there, there, there's no, uh, there, there's no restaurant. There's no menu out there that is going to rock your sock, so to speak for every single thing that's out there. Some food in the main dining room is going to be great. Some is going to be good. Some is going to be okay. You might find some duds along the way, but the bottom line is that more often than not, the majority of the food will be good and you'll enjoy it. And there's no necessary reason to buy a dining package. You certainly could get a dining package to augment your complimentary food. When I talk to new cruisers about specialty dining, I often tell them, think of it as a way to augment, not replace the complimentary food that's out there. Certainly you could buy the unlimited dining package and only eat especially restaurants for your, your dinners. But I don't think you need to go quite to that length. It's not to say that if you don't go there, you're going to have a bad experience on the nights you're not eating especially dining. I think you will enjoy this, the, the complimentary dining options that are out there. 
So there's nothing in, wrong with indulging in a specialty restaurant package or, or just buying, you know, one particular specialty restaurant. But don't buy them because you think there will be a terrible culinary experience. Otherwise, it's really not the case at all. And I think that a lot of repeat cruisers will tell you that the complimentary venues are totally fine. So, you know, it, it is what it is. But understand that that's, that's one that's, um, you know, there's nothing wrong with sticking to the complimentary venues. Next up is something that's come up definitely in the last year or two because this has changed a lot here in the United States. And that is you can bring marijuana on your cruise because it's legal where you live. Um, in short, Royal Caribbean doesn't allow marijuana or any illegal drugs for that matter to be brought on board at ships, period. End of story. It is nothing. It does not matter that it is legal where you live. It does not matter that you have a medical clearance to have it. And it doesn't matter anything else. The reason why Royal Caribbean doesn't allow marijuana on ships is because of the places you visit. Remember, when you're on a cruise ship and you depart the United States, you are literally departing the United States. You're in a different foreign country. And if you read the cruise contract, and this is also stated on Royal Caribbean's website as well, that marijuana possession and or use, including medical marijuana, is strictly prohibited because of the places you're visiting. This is not Royal Caribbean's policy. Like Royal Caribbean is saying, oh, we don't approve of marijuana on a, on a corporate level. Thus, we're not going to allow you to take it on there. That has nothing to do with it. What they're saying is the places you are visiting may not allow it. And regardless of the fact that your local state or other laws might permit it where you live, it doesn't matter. The countries you're visiting, their laws supersede the local policies where you're from because you're in their country. You've left the United States. You're in a different country now, and you are subject to their laws and their penalties. And this could result in a variety of issues. I'm not talking, I mean, real, real critic can kick you off the ship for it, but I'm talking bigger picture. I'm talking about you going to jail for it. This happens every so often, usually in a place like Bermuda, which has a little tighter laws with drugs. Um, there's somebody who gets busted for it and they end up in jail for it, right? And I don't care if you're in jail for an hour or a day. I don't want to go to jail and it's not worth it. So you have to understand this is not Royal Caribbean, like, you know, saying, oh, you can't bring alcohol on board because the reason you can't bring alcohol on board is they want to be able to sell their own alcohol to you. That's a different issue. What we're talking about here are the laws of the land. And this question has come up a lot recently because, again, of the, some of the changing laws. So it is very important to understand that that's definitely not the case. Uh, next up is uh, you'll get loyalty program points if you pay for somebody else. I'm not sure of any customer loyalty program that does this, but every so often people are really, truly surprised, shocked, that basically here's, that they, if they pay for somebody to go on a cruise, they're not getting the points. So the classic example is... Um, you know, my, their, their, their kid is getting married or whatever, graduating from high school, and they're paying for their kid to go on a cruise. Shouldn't they be getting the Crown and Anchor Society points? And the answer is no. It does not matter who pays for the cruise. It's just a matter of who actually goes on the sailing. This is the same for the airlines. Again, maybe I'm mistaken. I don't even think the hotels or rental cars do this. I could be wrong. But basically, if you don't actually do the traveling, you're not actually getting the points. So something to keep in mind. And the last thing, and this is a biggie, especially for people that are new to cruise. I see this one probably, could this be the most common one on the list? I'm not sure. Some of these other ones are really, really common. Anyway, the last one on my list and super common is you can cancel or change your cruise without penalty, or you can just cancel and change your cruise. So, so many people book a cruise and then want to change their mind. Either they cancel it, change the date, change the ship, whatever. And then they incur the, oh, you can do that, but it's going to cost you this amount of money, right? 
you would be maybe you wouldn't be surprised if you've been on if you've been in enough Facebook groups about cruising. I'm sure you've seen this a lot. People don't understand the the nuances and the policies related to changing or canceling your cruise, right? Royal Caribbean offers refundable and non-refundable cruise fare. Non-refundable cruise fare is cheaper, and it's the default option. When you go to the Royal Caribbean website and you book a cruise, and you start to book a cruise, I should say, as you're going through the process, that first price you see, that's the non-refundable price. You can change it later on the refundable, but most people don't do that because it's cheaper. And the problem is you can incur a penalty if you change the ship and or sale date. And then there's the final payment date, which is in addition to that. So if you go past final payment date, and then you want to cancel or change your cruise, a new set of penalties kick in if you want to make a change. If you want to add somebody, remove somebody, that can also create a change there. And no, it doesn't matter about extenuating circumstances. You know, your dog ate your homework, so-and-so is sick, this happened. I mean, that's what travel insurance is for. Travel insurance covered, well, maybe not the, the dog ate your homework, but, you know, other situations can be covered by travel insurance. But without that, you're on your own. So it's super important to understand these policies. Now, I don't blame you. If you're listening to this, and you're like, how the heck am I supposed to do this? Am I going to read the whole cruise contract? No, nobody does that. What you're going to do instead is you're going to use a good travel agent. Uh, this is, I use a good travel agent. I still use one. It's not about booking the cruise. Booking a cruise is super easy. It's all these little details that are easily overlooked. And so often, new people who have never cruised before go to the website, book the cruise, and then realize later on, you know, they want to change it or cancel it for whatever reason. And then they run into this particular scenario. So it's critical to understand these nuances and differences and, and take advantage of, and make sure you understand them. So that way you're not being taken advantage of and you're not losing money. So there you have it. Some of the misconceptions about a roller being cruise. And I hope that this helps provide some more context to what these are all about. And whether you're new to cruising or you've only done a couple of cruises, maybe this will also help you out as well to understand it better. Okay, time to answer some listener emails. This is the part of the episode where I answer the emails you've sent me. And if I can email, if I can, email, if I can answer your emails, I'll email you back. No, uh, just send me an email, matt at royalcreamblog.com. Matt, M-A-T-T, at royalcreamblog.com. Our first email is from Michael. Hello, Matt. I found your blog several months ago while researching our first cruise in several years. And now I'm a blog insider. Thank you, Michael. But also I've taken an additional cruise and have three scheduled. My wife says thanks. And <laughs> put in an eyes rolling emoji there. We're going on Wonder of the Seas in May with our son and his girlfriend during their break from college, but neither are 21 yet. My question is, how do we get our CPAS cards corrected so that they're in the same room and my wife and I are in the same room? Do we have to wait until we're on board the ship? Thanks for all the great information each week on the podcast and on Monday night's YouTube show. Good question. So the answer is, yeah, once you get on board, you can't do it even in the cruise terminal, but get on board the ship, go to guest relations, guest services, and they can basically reissue the cards so that way you're good to go uh, from there. It's pretty simple to do it. It's just honestly, the biggest problem is just there's usually a line for guest services on the first day. So you'll just wait there and you'll reissue the cards and they won't even bat an eye at your, you'll be like the 800th person. Well, maybe not that day, but they've seen there done that. It's not a big deal. Next email is from Aaron. We recently booked our first family cruise on Oasis of the Seas, departing September 2023. My kids will be seven and three. We're booked in the ultra spacious balcony cabin. A couple questions. Number one. I've been on some cruises in the past, but none in the last 10 years or so. After we signed up, I downloaded the Royal Caribbean app, found my cruise, and noticed I'm on a, I'm sailing as a diamond member with 84 points. What a surprise. My parents were avid cruisers in their retirement years, but I only ever cruised six or seven times on varying cruise lines. When I signed into my account on the Royal Caribbean website, I see the following past cruises. Song of America, which was uh, seven nights, earned one point. Voyager of the Seas 2005, Western Caribbean nine nights, one point earned. Royal Caribbean Cruise 2006, three points earned. 
and Explore the Seas 2012 Bermuda 7 Knights 0.7. My question is, why am I diamond status? We never stayed in a suite, and there's no way any combination of the above cruises adds up to 84 points. Certainly not complaining, just curious if there's some funny Royal Caribbean math going on here, or if my parents' crown anchor status somehow benefiting me. The answer is the latter, actually. So, um, I'm not sure how old you are, Aaron. Oh, I see you got kids, so I'm going to guess you're above the age of 21. But prior to that, your parents' status, would have you would have inherited it, essentially. Now, the one point, there's a couple things. Number one, your one point that you have, it says one point, it's actually seven. Um, back pre, I forget the, I forget the year when they changed it over. But even though you see one point earned, one point earned, three points earned, uh, you actually are getting like the, for seven night cruise, 14 points for a nine night cruise, 18 points, right? And that's still not, I don't think that's, I don't think that's 80 something. So you're definitely getting some points from your, I got to think you're getting it from your parents. It's the only logical thing that that's left there. And that is the case. Like my kids as an example, Aaron have only cruised on a fraction of the cruises that I have, but they've put their diamond plus because, because I am. So there you go. Number two, assuming I'm truly a diamond status, what is the best way to link my wife to my reservation? So she has the same benefits. All you have to do, uh, you can call the crown and anchor number. That's probably the easiest way to do it because you can do it on board the ship. That doesn't help you once you get on Oasis. So call the, um, call the Royal Caribbean crown and anchor number. If you Google Royal Caribbean crown and I can do what I'm here for, right? Royal Caribbean, anybody does just Google Royal Caribbean crown and anchor phone number. And the phone number here in the United States is 1-800-526-9723. And uh, let them know you want to set your, your spouse as your the beneficiary or whatever I don't know what the word is there, but they'll want to have them on your account. And then your spouse, just like you got from your parents, will get will inherit your status as well. Keep in mind, but this happens for your kids as well. Your kids are also entitled to getting your diamond status. Keep in mind, of course, your wife and your kids' point totals, as long as, as well as yours, will be whatever they've actually cruised at. So let's assume you're, you're a diamond right now, right? Let's assume your kids never cruise again with, it, with, with you. And this is their first cruise. Even though they'll be diamond, uh, you're going on a seven night cruise, I imagine. They're only going to have seven points. So in order to move to diamond plus, they would have to cruise enough on their own to get to Diamond Plus, if that makes sense. And uh, your third question was, I already answered it. Diamond benefits also send to children. They do. Yeah, so make sure that you uh, get your um, get them associated with your account as well. Thank you for that email. Next email is from... The wrong one there. Uh, David Stewart writes, Good afternoon, Matt. Our family recently got back from a seven-day Western Caribbean cruise on Liberty of the Seas. This was our first cruise. I wanted to be informed. In addition to your great blogs, I watched many hours of videos and read quite a bit on cruising. Though having done all that, here are eight things I wish I had known. Most of these were, weren't were ever discussed that I had seen. By no means are these top eight tips on cruising, but lesser known tips that I recommend. I love this idea. All right, so here's number one. Regardless of which internet package you choose, Surfer, Surf, and Stream, neither package includes the chat through the Royal Caribbean app. Okay, so this email was sent oh, a while ago. This one actually, yeah, so in January, this has changed. Beginning January 1, 23, it's now included, so we can chalk this one off the list. But at the time, it was accurate. Number two, you can't keep children in Adventure Ocean all day on sea days because they close for lunch and dinner. Yes, this is very true. Uh, so if on a sea day, Adventure Ocean is open from 9 a.m. to noon, 2 to 5, and then 7 to, well, really like 2 a.m., but there's there's gaps in there, right? And um, yeah, the, that's absolutely the case. 
Number three, print out everything. Parking, shore excursions, dining reservations, COVID results. We had an issue at Dolphin Discovery and Cosmel having the information with me in print, expedited the resolution. Also, so much faster and easier than scrolling my phone trying to find the right email. I tend to agree. The only thing I don't print out is my set sail pass anymore. But for shore excursions, yeah, 100%. Print them out. It's a really good idea. Number four, spending in foreign currency saved us 25%, both in Cosmel and Costa Maya. Having Mexican pesos saved us a lot of money. Many times the U.S. dollar posted rate is significantly higher than the U.S. dollar equivalent in the local currency rate. I did the math, and using the rate I paid for pesos through my bank saved me a significant amount of money versus paying the U.S. dollar rate. I understand this may not always be the case, and when I went, the U.S. exchange rate was very favorable. It's, I don't, you're not wrong, David, with, with number four on your list. I don't think it's worth it, especially like number, it's just a hassle that's not worth it for people to do, especially if you're going on a cruise that goes to like a couple different countries with different currencies. The hassle is not worth the couple dollars that you're going to be paying extra in the currency exchange. I, I, I really don't think that's the case. I, I mean, listen, every dollar counts. I get that. Personally, I've determined it's not worthwhile. And, and I think a lot of people agree with me on that one, but you're not like from a technical standpoint, you're not wrong. Number five. If you lose a pool towel, ask the secret attendant. They usually have an extra. Not sure how we lost one, but our secret attendant was able to get us a replacement. We only needed one, but she asked how many we wanted. Um, This is an interesting one because you can always get more pool towels upstairs at the pool deck there. If they give you pool towels in the room, that's just a courtesy, but you can get more from upstairs in the pool deck there. But keep in mind, the reason why I'm saying it's curious is because technically uh, any unreturned pool towels at the end of the cruise, you owe money for. So I'm not sure if maybe the tenants just kind of look the other way on that. All right, we need more context there. Number six, travel insurance. Pick the start and end date from when you leave and arrive back home, not when you leave the port. That's a really good one because, you know, if you're flying in two days before your cruise, you want that to be covered with your travel insurance. Number seven, bring a digital clock. It was nice knowing what time it was in our stateroom. I'm going to guess, well, he might not have been in the inside room or not, but yeah, it is really important. Because if you don't bring a clock, the only way you know what time it is is either you look at the phone stateroom phone is that it's not backlit so you literally have to like turn a light on in order to look at it or you're looking at your own like cell phone or something like that having a digital clock where you kind of like open one eye and like squint and then go back to bed that's really important so i agree on that one and number eight bring two pairs of sunglasses i misplaced mine at one point and the mother of my other family we were with lost one of hers it's a good idea to have everybody bring some extras not a bad idea somebody who has notoriously lost many cheapo sunglasses in my life also expensive ones um you know, sunglasses are so cheap these days. You know, when you buy them on the internet, if you're like me, you see those Facebook ads, and you're like, ooh, those look nice. You know, buy two of them, and it's not a bad idea, Dave. So great, great email there. I really appreciate that. Good stuff. Thank you to everybody for checking out this episode of the Royal Coming Blog Podcast. If I can email, sorry, I did that again. If I can answer your emails, email me, matt at royalcaribbeanblog.com. Matt, M-A-T-T, at royalcaribbeanblog.com. Until next time, I'm Matt. We'll talk again. We'll see.